Well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Now, here we are. We're almost halfway through the season, Tom. It's flown by quickly and, as always, plenty of good rugby league in round nine. Yeah, 100% we had a great round last weekend. Just to recap the results, as always, we had the Storm absolutely dominant on Thursday night, 50-0 over the Rabbitohs. We shut them out, as did the Panthers uh, on Friday night against the Sharks. Then we had your Eels get up over the Roosters before the Knights made a comeback against the Raiders. Tigers, they couldn't uh, could it done right at the end there against the Titans. They were too poor defensively throughout the game. We had a ripper on Saturday night between the Cowboys and the Broncos. The Cowboys getting up there off the back of a Valentine Holmes field goal. And it was a real throwback to the, the old days of those Cowboys-Broncos matchups in that sort of 2015-2016 range when we had that great grand final. And then on Sunday, Tom Trebojevic absolutely led Manly to a demolition of the Warriors. They almost came back there right at the end but couldn't get the job done, the Warriors. And then uh, the Dragons got uh, the job done over the Bulldogs. Obviously, coming into Magic Round this weekend, it's... Um, an exciting week for footy. Uh, we obviously didn't get a chance to go up to Brisbane for last year because of COVID. So uh, really exciting to see some great footy this weekend. Yes, yeah, certainly is plenty to look forward to. And I guess the the opening game of Magic Round, Tom, is one you'll be keeping an eye on with the Tigers. And I mean, I guess the big talking points here, Tom, you know, obviously, you know, Michael Maguire is trying different things. And I think, you know, plenty of media personalities have come out and said that, the Tigers are still trying to find their identity as a team. They're still trying to, I guess, find out which players should be staying, which should be going, where do they fit in best. So all these reshuffles, we've seen Adam Dewey's in the centres. Moses Mbai is in the in the halves of 5'8". But probably the most surprising one to me, Tom, and we've spoken about him before, dropping Stefano Yutokamanu out of the side altogether when I think realistically he's probably outperformed some of the more veteran middle forwards for the Tigers so far this year. Yeah, definitely. I was surprised to see Stefano left out, especially when you consider Alex Safar as one of spot on the bench. I didn't really think over the last few weeks that he quite provided the spark off the bench that Michael Maguire would have been hoping for from him. But uh, nevertheless, he retains his spot. Obviously, much of the talk's been around Adam Dewey moving to that uh, centre role with no Zembai into the six. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Mbai defend at, 5'8", and Dewey attack at 5'8". I think that Adam Dewey's been caught out a number of times rushing up in defence, and it's just a matter of getting a bit more experience there. For him in that 5'8 role defensively, we've seen a number of times uh, second rowers on the left-hand side for teams opposing the Tigers. Uh, they've gone over for tries, and unfortunately, Adam Dewey's paid the price this week. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how that one plays out. I know the other conspiracy theory floating around online amongst um, a number of media personnel in the rugby league world is that Luke Brooks might get dropped this week. We'll see Jock Madden jump into that seven role alongside uh, Mo Zembai or perhaps Mbai to the bench and Adam Dewey into the sixth to partner Madden and uh, Luke Brooks drops out of the side. So might be some weight changes and one to keep an eye on for Tigers fans for sure. Yeah, certainly is. I mean, I guess for those Tigers fans and even general fans that don't know, just, I, I guess, Tom, just give us a, you know, a brief rundown on sort of, obviously we know Jock Madden plays in the halves. I think everyone would know that, but you know, what sort of player he is and what, what he can potentially bring to the Tigers and to, to rugby league in general? Yeah, so a real traditional halfback, I guess, um, in a similar mould to a guy like Luke Brooks. Um, he's got on the try assist. He's got a bit of a running game as well. He scored five tries this year in the um, uh, knock-on effect cup down there in the uh, the reserve grade. So I'm, just, I'm sure we're going to see him get plenty of uh, ball in his hands and, uh, yeah, really try and take on the line. As I said, very similar role, I'm sure, to what Luke Brooks will be looking to play. I wonder if we might even see them sub out through the match if they both play. Yeah, been an interesting one to watch. And obviously, you know, certainly the Tigers are going to need a win. But it's not going to be easy, Tom, against this Knights side who I don't think they were terrible in the first half against the Raiders. Obviously, they were lose the, they were trailing 16-0 against the Raiders at halftime out at McDonald's Park in Wagga Wagga for that game. And I think it was just maybe lack of execution, some silly errors. But the second half, I mean, pretty much, you know, Kalen Ponga with the, the surprise short kickoff catches Canberra off guard. That first set of the second half, they score through Phoenix Crossland, and it was pretty much just one-way traffic from there for the Knights in terms of their attack. And I think we're probably still a few weeks away from seeing them really clicking, but there were some good signs in that second half for the Knights moving forward. Yeah, there certainly was. I think you mentioned that their execution, they had 71% completions for the game, and that's probably uh, flattered them a little bit considering uh, how well they played in the second half. I think they're a real side that relies on momentum. I think that we saw that the week before against the Roosters when they sort of fell out of the match. They really fell uh, well off the pace and uh, the Roosters ended up winning that one. I think it was 38-4. to 4. 
And last week we saw the Raiders get out to a quick start. The Knights weren't able to run them down until, as you mentioned there, after halftime they had that real momentum turn and then it was all Knights in the second half. So I think the start's going to be really crucial for both sides of this game. We saw that uh, the Tigers gave up uh, 16 or 18 very quick points against the Titans on the weekend, almost scored uh, three consecutive sets there. Obviously uh, that try off the kickoff as well. So uh, that didn't help the Tigers uh, cause when they were trying to make that comeback late in the game. And we've seen that a number of times in them earlier this season. We saw Mammy score three tries in five minutes uh, on Anzac Day. And then also the Cowboys get a real jump on them at Weichardt in that Tommy Radonikas Memorial match earlier in the season. Yeah, should be a good one to kick things off for the Magic Roundup in Brisbane. And I guess for maybe for different reasons, the second game on Friday, Tom, could be an equally, equally interesting game. Obviously, you know, the Broncos, they did lose the, that nail-biter against the Cowboys in Round 9. Manly, probably the score in the Warriors game doesn't do them justice. I mean, obviously, we, you know, the Warriors came back at the end, but it was pretty much the Tom Trebojevic showing that game, Tom. I think he ended up with... Like a, you know, a couple of tries, four try assists, whatever it was, three or four line break assists. And I mean, if you had him in super coach and you captained him with 191 points, you're absolutely cheering, that's for sure. And, you know, I, I, it's amazing how much difference one guy can make to, the, make to a side, Tom. And you probably have to think that just the way that they're clicking at the moment, that Manly's going to be too strong for Brisbane, who weren't, weren't great, but they weren't poor at the same time. But as we've said before, consistency has always been their, their issue the last couple of seasons. Yeah, 100% a great stat uh, produced by the guys at NRL.com uh, in the team list this week that Tom Trebojevic, since his return, uh, man, we've increased their points scored per game from 9.4 to 32.5. I think that tells you all you need to know about this Manly side and the importance of Tom Trebojevic to their outfit, as we've spoken about so many times this season. I was really impressed on the weekend uh, with the performances of some of their front rowers as well. Uh, we spoke about him, Taniel Paseca, throughout this year. Uh, he's been named this week despite some uh, concerns over concussion. But he had nine runs for 119 metres, 46 post-contact metres there. And also Sean Kepi uh, obviously hasn't had a lot of opportunity there, but uh, with both Adam Fanua, Blake and Muddy to power out of the side. He got a run in the starting squad last week, and he uh, definitely produced with 18 runs for 176 metres there. Yeah, certainly was a good outing, that's for sure. And I, I, I get, for the Broncos, Tom, obviously, you know, I guess... Losing Pat Carrigan is a blow to their forward stock, so Tom Flegler will come in at lock, obviously. For those that don't know, Pat uh, Patrick Carrigan did his ACL, so obviously at this point in the season, that effectively rules you out for the entire season. And I think the positive for the Broncos in a way, Tom, has probably been the way that Tyson Gamble has been able to play. Obviously, he's not your traditional-looking halfback, nor does he play like one. He's more just, uh, you know, I guess there to... Just try and, you know, find some gaps, just sort of create something different. Obviously, it was at the Tigers for a little bit, so you probably know more about him than, than I would. But he certainly seems to have slotted in well, and I guess if they're going to be any hope, they sort of need him to, I guess, control the game in a way to potentially nullify the effect that Manly can have going forward. Yeah, 100% he saw defensively as well, and he just brings so much energy to the side. I think we, we noted that last week when one of the Titans players two weeks ago was Simbin, he was absolutely blowing up Deluxe and uh, really inspiring his teammates. And I think that's what Brisbane have been really lacking over the last year and a half, just that real intent, uh, both in attack and defence, and he's, he's more than certainly provided it. I thought Brisbane were a little bit unlucky last week not to get the win. Obviously, couldn't get the job done over the Cowboys in that close fair up there in North Queensland, but uh, their back line was superb. All five guys over 100 running metres. Uh, Herbie Farmworth especially, uh, oh, sorry, Herbie Farnworth was especially impressive, 21 runs for 230 metres. And, uh, yeah, Jermaine Osako, again, really running the show at the back there for Brisbane. I'm sure they'll be relying on that back five again this week. Yeah, they certainly have to if they're going to have any chance of beating this Manly side. That's, you know, I mean, just the way that they're playing with Tommy Turbo back. And on the flip side of the coin, Tom, two teams that are really struggling at the moment. Obviously, it's the first game on Saturday up at Suncorp for Magic Magic Rounds in Round 10, and that's the Canterbury Bulldogs and the Canberra Raiders. I mean, it's not much going right for either side at the moment, obviously. We know the Dogs have only won one game so far this year. Canberra's on a five-game losing streak. <laughs> you, you probably have to go Canberra, Tom, only because of their experience, but they're certainly not firing across the park, and that's why they've lost five games in a row. Yeah, it is, but this weekend they'll finally get a chance to, to break that hoodoo, I reckon. They've had a rotten run, and 
think that Canberra will be really looking to some of their younger guys to inspire uh, this side to a victory. I think Bailey Simonson could be in for a big game this weekend. He's been uh, starting to fire over the last couple of weeks, and he'll sort in on that left edge with Jordan Rapana out. Obviously, Rapana's had such a successful start to the year, so I'm sure Simonson will be looking to replicate that. He'll team up with Sebastian Chris, who uh, I've even heard him perhaps uh, fall into a couple of origin discussions for that Queensland centre spot. So be interesting to see what happens there. If he can put on a, another couple of good rounds, I'm sure he'll enter uh, those discussions up there. For the Bulldogs, they were obviously able to keep things close there in the first half against the Dragons. Just weren't able to match them down the stretch. And unfortunately, that game blew out last week at uh, Jubilee Stadium at Cogra. And they'll be looking to their halves this week. New combination of Brandon Wakeham at six and Jake Avarillo at seven, which is a little bit unusual considering he's more of a centre. But uh, I'm sure they'll be looking to those two guys to really inspire that lineup to uh, bring a bit of spark to the attack. And, you know, fingers crossed for Bulldogs fans that they might be able to get over the board while the, the Raiders are struggling. Yeah, anything's possible, but it looks a bit grim, Tom. I mean, I, I mean, personally, I know Kyle Flanagan probably hasn't had the best start to his Bulldogs career, and you know he was hooked at halftime, was visibly distressed. Obviously, had that press conference yesterday that you know he he broke down when he was asked about what advice his dad Shane had given him, and you, you can tell how much playing rugby league means to him, and the fact that his family is entrenched in rugby league and whatnot, but. I think at the end of the day, this Bulldog side, as bad as it might be playing, what they need is just consistency in positions. And I mean, I don't think having Brandon Wakeham, who hasn't been great by any means in the games he's played in his career to date, and then having Jack Avrilla at halfback, who, you know, traditionally halfback is a position that guides your team around. And, you know, Avrilla is a centre playing 5-8 essentially, it'd probably make more sense to keep Flanagan on board in the halfback role, Tom, and just let him try and, you know, work on his own game in preparation for next year when you get Matt Burton in, who will help take some pressure off him. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. I know Paul Kent came out last night on 360 and blasted the Bulldogs for dropping him, and I tend to agree with him. Obviously, you have a look at the spine this week for the Bulldogs. Dallin Wateni Zalesniak at fullback, probably more of a winger. Brendan Wakeham at six. He's a good player in his own right, but very inexperienced. And he's had a couple of runs in the past, hasn't been able to nail down a spot. As you mentioned, Abarillo there in the seven. And then you've got Sione Katoa, who's been in and out of the squad in the nine jersey. And you really wonder who is going to be that controlling force, as you mentioned. And um, yeah, it's not sure they'll have enough points in them this week, the Bulldogs, to match the Raiders, who I'm sure will come out firing. And when you're trying to match guys like Jack Whiten and George Williams, it's going to be a tough ask. Yeah, it, it could potentially get ugly for you know for the Raiders, but look, anything is possible. The Dogs, when they want to, they can defend and grind out games, but it's not going to be easy, that's for sure. And it's certainly not going to be easy for the Sharks, Tom, coming up against the Bunnies in the second game on the Saturday. And look, we know that Souths were absolutely demolished last week against Melbourne, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast. 48, uh, sorry, 50 nil. It was ugly from Souths all round. You know, obviously, Adam Reynolds comes back, which is going to make a huge difference for their side. And, you know, you'd expect them to get the win here, Tom, against a shark side that, you know, that they can look good one minute and then look really bad the next minute. And I guess Penrith made them look really bad last week. Yeah, they certainly did. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of a bounce back from this Sharks lineup. Obviously, we expect the Rabbitohs to get the win. But I think we're underestimating the impact that the loss of Cam Murray can have on this Rabbitohs side. Last week, just having a look at the stats, uh, no Bunnies player apart from Cody Walker topped 100 running metres. And I know they only had 40% of the ball against the Storm, but they really rely on that go forward from guys like Tom Burgess and Tavita Totola, Keon Kloel, Matangi as well, to get them rolling through the middle of the field and give guys like Cody Walker and Benji Marshall and Alex Johnson the space and time they need in good attacking positions to score. If the Sharks can hold onto the ball, which they haven't been able to do the last couple of weeks, I think they're a real chance of you know, perhaps sniffing out an upset this week. Again, in a real tight encounter, I can't see them putting on mass points against this Bunnies lineup, who before last week we would have said are fairly strong defensively. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. I think that the Sharks will be really looking to Sean Johnson. Obviously, he led the league in tries last season before he went off with his Achilles injury. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed for the Sharks fans that he can re- rediscover some of that form that he had last season because uh, at his best, he's absolutely scintillating. Yeah, and they certainly need it. They need some wins on the board, uh, you know, just to confidence, obviously help propel themselves up the ladder. But I guess the interesting one as well, Tom, for the Sharks is 
Andrew Fafita is back in the side in the 17 jumper for his first game of 2021. I mean, there's, you know, been so much talk that, you know, John Morris wasn't, or the former Sharks coach John Morris, so, you know, wasn't picking him because the work ethic wasn't there, the attitude wasn't there. I guess there was some talk as to, you know, whether Fafita had that, you know, that passion, that, that drive to continue, obviously, you know, different players react in different ways when, when they're playing reserve grade for a long time. But I guess it's his chance, Tom, to, you know, show Craig Fitzgibbon that, hey, maybe, you know, you give me one more year, I'm, you know, I can potentially prove my worth as a as a veteran forward to the young guys coming through. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether Fafita can compete with those young guys, as you mentioned, obviously. Guys like Toby Rudolph and Britton Nakora have really made a name for themselves over the last couple of years. CFC for Talakai there as well. So obviously, uh, there's plenty of competition for spots there at Sharks. And you know, fingers crossed for Fafita that he has managed to turn things around because we all know at his best he can be such a damaging prop. He's had a, a number of injuries that have obviously affected his career over the last couple of years. But I'm sure um, Josh Hannay and uh, all the Sharks fans out there are going to be hoping that he can get back to his best. And in a very similar vein to what we were just speaking about with the Rabbitohs forwards, really be able to get guys like Sean Johnson and T- Chad Townsend, Will Kennedy as well, into the positions they need to set up Josh Dugan, Will Chambers, Connor Tracy on the outside, uh, really attack those edges of the Rabbitohs where we saw last week they were so uh, frail against uh, the Melbourne Storm, that right edge of Dane Gagai. Uh, we often see Benji Marshall defending out there as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, at South Sydney. Yeah, it's certainly been an interesting game for many reasons. And I guess an equal interesting one, Tom, particularly for the Cowboys, to see if they can't continue their momentum. Obviously, you know, they're enjoying a pretty good vein of form themselves coming up against the Roosters, who were last-round losers to the Eels. But, you know, this is the Roosters' side, Tom, that they just seem to be hit with injury after injury. Obviously, I guess a good thing is Satili Tupanua comes back into the back row and, we know how good he's been this year, but it, this could be a potentially close one. Obviously, the Roosters probably aren't at their best at the moment because of those injuries, and you know the onus is is I guess really on James Tedesco, who we you know is still regarded by many as the best fullback in the game. You know, despite what Tom Trebojevic has been able to do in recent weeks, but you've got to wonder when that pressure is going to get to Tedesco, Tom, and we see one of those bad games from him and. You know, obviously in a side that needs a win of their own just to, I guess, put themselves back in that, you know, top five premiership frame. Obviously, they're they're still a top five side, but with the players that they're missing, going the distance is going to be tough. But a win will certainly do a lot just to help the Roosters, I guess, get that momentum and confidence back that that their play seems to be lacking somewhat. Yeah, certainly. I don't think we'll see one of those bad games from James Cesar this week. I think that he's a real contender in Supercoach terms, to, to turn up this weekend. I think he's going to have a great game, plenty of try assists there, and I think we might even see him break the line a couple of times up against this Cowboys defence, who did well to hold out Brisbane last week and uh, sniff out a win, but we've seen over the first sort of eight weeks of the season they can be fragile, and uh, once things start to fall apart, just like we were speaking with Newcastle, they can really uh, fall away very quickly. Obviously, Matt Icavalo did a good job on that right edge, came in and scored a hat-trick last weekend. Uh, he's going to be a key piece of this puzzle moving forward now that Brett Morris is out. Do we see Joseph Sawali in this weekend, perhaps as a, uh, a late inclusion, considering that the Roosters have a couple of players in doubt? Who knows? And then we've got through the middle of the field, uh, guys like Jared Weir Hargraves and CSUR Takayahu, who are going to be so important. Weir Hargraves gets to start this weekend with Takayahu off the bench. And I think Trent Robinson's just still experimenting with a couple of different combinations in there, working out who's going to get the start moving forward and who's going to come off as an impact player off the bench. And I think that if those guys can really get the roll up through the middle of the field, makes the job much easier for a guy like Sam Walker, who has, to be fair, been a little bit inconsistent start of the season. We all know what a star he's been over the first couple of weeks, but he went missing a little bit last weekend. And uh, if he's if he can step up and get the right ball to James Tedesco, I think it could be curtains for the Cowboys lineup. Yeah, we know what the Roosters can do where they're on. And, you know, obviously having Tamalolo back has, you know, I guess helped the Cowboys with their go forward. And, you know, he plays his 200th game this week. The I think he's the eighth Cowboy to reach the milestone you know, which shows you that, you know, they don't have too many that play play long periods solely for them. But, I mean, the Cowboys have to be impressed, Tom, with the way they've been playing. You know, obviously, there are still a lot of, I guess, players that the fans would like to see come into the side. You know, guys like, you know, Tom Gilbert, Peter Holler, just sort of these young guys to try and build the next gen 
whilst they, I guess, rebuild their side in many ways. But you know, we've said it before. A lot of what a lot of their attack hinges on Val Holmes, and you know, certainly in this stretch, he's been he's easily been their best player. Yeah, certainly has just a great organizer out of the back, both in attack and defence. It's interesting what uh, what you said there about uh, the balance between perhaps looking to the future and starting those younger stars, or really focusing on the present. And what I think we're finding this season is because we've got teams like Penrith, uh, your Eels, the Storm, and the Bunnies so dominant at the top of the ladder, we're going to see teams make the eight with losing records for sure this season. And we're already seeing that at the moment with the Titans and the Warriors both slipping in with. Uh, a four and five record. The Cowboys, they're on the same number of points, only falling outside of the eight uh, due to points differential. So they're really in in the mix for a final spot this year, which is hard to imagine after the way they started the season uh, with so much turmoil. The t- Tamalolo situation there, both with his injury and being called out by Todd Payton, the issues they had with Josh Maguire. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Todd Payton approaches the season moving forward. Obviously, yeah, I think you've got to play the best plays you've got available this season and not worry about the future while you're in that top eight race and then perhaps later on in the season look to blood them or perhaps you know slowly start to introduce them to first grade throughout throughout the season off the bench. Yeah, there's plenty of good kids to look forward to there at the Cowboys. It's not easy against the Roosters, but as we always say, anything is possible. And I guess we move on to the games for Sunday. Tom obviously kickstarts uh, at 150 with the, the Warriors and the Eels and I guess the talking point with, with with this game in particular, Tom, is is more with the Parramatta Eels, obviously, notwithstanding the fact that Dylan Brown and Marata Niakore are both suspended, as they rightfully should have been. Uh, Dylan Brown for the knees in the ribs of Drew Hutchison and Marata Niakore for his shoulder charge on James Tedesco. And, you know, the big talking point here is that whole idea that the NRL put forward where they they recommended but didn't explicitly state you know, because of the, this COVID bubble, you need to pull out all your New South Wales Cup players that are fringe first graders. Otherwise, you run the risk of, you know, not having them play in the magic round. The Eels took the gamble, obviously, thinking that the restrictions were going to, you know, come away or lessen. They didn't. So now they're in this situation where the likes of Jacob Arthur, Ray Stone, uh, Joey Lussick and Jordan Rankin, who are in their 21, obviously Lussick and Rankin are probably less likely to play, but they're then in the 21 nevertheless. They can't train with the side. They need to pass the COVID test prior to leaving to Brisbane. If they pass said test, then they can train in Brisbane. I mean, it's it's sort of turned into a, a laughable shambles, I guess, in a way, Tom, at the fact that if the NRL wanted to take these sort of initiatives, you'd just say, pull your players out or you're playing with 17 and that's it, rather than sort of giving teams leeway or a chance, Like, and the Eels took took that chance, and, you know, it's backfiring per se, but all could have been avoided if the NRL had just come out and said, pull them out or that's it. Yeah, it's a, an intriguing one. Obviously, Jacob Arthur, what a situation he's found himself in. He's going to debut this week in the sixth jersey for your Eels coming off the back of perhaps one training session on Friday up there in Brisbane. And, uh, yeah, just in- incredible scenes, really, uh, to see what's going to happen there. I was a little bit surprised that uh, they didn't name Bryce Cartwright in the sixth jersey with Mitchell Moses in the seven. thought Cartwright did a- an all right job last weekend on the right edge after uh, Dylan Brown went out. And it's going to be um, interesting to see whether Jacob Arthur plays the full 80 minutes or perhaps Cartwright comes on. What do you reckon about that? I think Brad Arthur's whole intention when he signed Cartwright is, obviously we know that Cartwright is a tremendous player with ball in hand, his offloading ability. I think he's got a very underrated passing game, both short and long. Obviously, we haven't seen much of it used, you know, and you don't in the back row. But I think Brad Arthur's whole idea with Cartwright was more, you know, back row is your position to where I'm going to play. you. Obviously, and I said it before that he would have started the year at the back in the back row had he not suffered that broken jaw and, I think Brad Arthur has been very straightforward with him to say, this is your position. This is how I want you to play. This is, you know, what I'd like to see from you. And he's certainly done that, as you said, you know, last week, you know, floating around both sides over the course of the, you know, the last few weeks, scoring a couple of tries in the process, getting involved. And if we see Arthur not struggling, but maybe, you know, unable to match the intensity that the game and our role requires compared to, the, the knock-on effect cut, which you know is professional footy, but very different at the same time. 
if he's struggling in any way, I think we then we may see Cartwright move in there. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Arthur play the entire 80 minutes. And look, from all reports at the training ground, obviously, you know, the development players can train with first graders and reserve graders and all clubs do it differently. But from all reports, he's he's certainly not he's, he's not afraid to hold his own both in attack and defence. And, you know, there's been some chatter that he's put first graders on the, on their asses in defence. So, you know, it's I guess it's a good thing that he, you know, has that belief in himself, Jacob Arthur. And, you know, I, I think he's a guy that, you know, obviously, like any kid, it'll take a bit of time to adjust across the board. But I think he'll do a solid job in his, in his debut, presuming he gets the all clear, which... It, You'd be, it's hard to imagine that he won't. Yeah, certainly. And I think the addition of Reid Marnie is going to be really key to just give him that confidence. Obviously, as we mentioned with the Bulldogs, Reid Marnie can be that organiser alongside Mitch Moses and uh, Arthur can really just go out and play his natural game. Of course, at the Warriors, good to see that they've pretty much got an unchanged lineup. Ben Murdoch Masiwa comes back into that squad, which is a terrific addition. He's uh, been excellent so far this season. We spoke about him last week. And Roger Tuovasashek, he's got a great record against your Eels. So, uh, it'd be interesting to see whether he can put up another great performance in where well, we have another great battle of the fullbacks this weekend between two of us, Sheck and Quinn Gutherson, battle of the two captains as well. Yeah, unfortunately it does. Two of us, Sheck is like, it seems to be that one fullback that just somehow either pulls a, a rabbit out of a hat to make the Warriors win or get them back in the game or put us under pressure. So obviously it's not going to be easy to nullify what he can do. And, you know, as you said, Gutherson and two of us, Sheck. Is going to be a tremendous battle. And I guess just one more thing on the whole Jacob Arthur thing, Tom, that I think probably helps his cause, I guess, more in in a way if it was at other teams, it wouldn't happen. I think the fact that you have a spine when you have Gutherson, Moses and Marnie that have been playing with each other for the last, you know, three, three, four years, give or take, obviously makes Arthur's job a lot easier to come in knowing that you have guys that they're, they're professionals, they do their job, they know what to do and, you know, it certainly helps a young kid on debut coming in and, you know, notwithstanding that he's the coach's son who uh, doesn't escape, well, he won't escape criticism either way, but it's a good situation that you can come into a side with established players in your spine. Yeah, 100%. And the fact that Dylan Brown is the one missing, I think, make, makes things easier purely because Dylan Brown is that instinctive force within the side. He plays eyes up footy, whereas some of the others are perhaps a little bit more structured and run the play. Guys like Reed Marnie are really important and directing the side around and I think that Arthur will just be able to go out there and uh, play his natural game and I think that's going to be real beneficial for him and uh, a great blessing for him to have in that first game. Yes, yeah, certainly will be and there's an equally interesting game to, uh, for the second match on the Sunday. Melbourne Storm and the Dragons, Tom. I mean, you know, the I guess this Storm side, no Harry Grant, no Cam Munster, Brian Pappenhausen is on the extended bench. You know, it, it's whether it's... Uh, I guess, you know, smoke and mirrors from Craig Bellamy naming Kenny Bromwich a hooker. There's a bit of chatter going around that Pappenhausen will be playing, so he'll move to fullback. Hines will move to the bench. The smoothie will move into hooker. Bromwich to the back row, and and then Tui will go out to the bench. I mean, whether that happens, who knows? But I think what we do know is even with, you know, those those core guys out, Tom, this is still a tremendously talented storm side, and You'd still you'd expect them to still get the job done against the Dragons. Oh, absolutely. I don't think uh, the bookies' line has moved too much since we found out that Munster and Grant will be out for a couple of weeks. I think that we're going to see a very similar storm performance to what we saw last weekend against the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And uh, I think you're pretty much spot on in your analysis there of uh, what will happen when Ryan Pappenhausen does come into that side. I'm pretty confident he will. Apparently, all he um, all he has to do is pass that last fitness test towards the end of the week in the captain's run. The only thing I uh, would say is we might see Hines drop into the six with Rory Jacks back to the bench. I think that Nico Hines has done enough to really cement his spot there. And um, I think Craig Bellamy might, may reward that by giving him that starting spot uh, in Munster's absence. Obviously, Nico Hines, great ball player, but also a great runner of the ball. And I think he brings all of the same attributes that Cam Munster does. Obviously, he's uh, been training under that storm system for such a long time that uh, it's well ingrained with him in, uh, within uh, his abilities to be able to slot in at any spot in that back line, as he usually does in that 14 roll off the bench. So uh, fingers crossed that Nico Hines can get an extended run there. And across at the Dragons, you know, obviously wasn't the most polished performance last weekend against the Bulldogs, but they got the job done, led by Matt Dufty, of course. Corey Norman's been good uh, in the absence of Ben Hunt, and I think that he really benefits uh, from having Hunt back in that side. Obviously, Hunt can control and 
Uh, Norman can just play that instinctive eyes up footy with Dufty. I think those two guys will be looking to combine plenty of times over the weekend. And great to see Josh Maguire getting plenty of minutes down there as well. Uh, looks like he's really found a, a home in that lock roll. 72 minutes on the weekend, 14 runs for 122 metres. So uh, good signs there for the Dragons fans that Josh Maguire is getting himself far more involved down in Wollongong than he did up in uh, North Queensland. And we all know how that ended. But uh, it's good, obviously. You know, Josh Maguire, you know, he's played Origins, played for Australian Samoa. You know, he's a tough, tenacious player and, you know, wears his heart on his sleeve, as we've seen. And he's been a, a good, astute mid-season signing for the Dragons. And, look, they'll have their work cut out against the Storm. I mean, you know, you, you could probably put in, you know, two two debut halves in that Storm side and they'd still somehow find a way to win with the players around them. And I guess the Storm, Tom, the players have mentioned this before. It's just about that next man up mentality, you know. If you get your chance, you either have to you either put up or shut up. So if you don't perform... You're out the next week. If you do, then you're rewarded with continued chances, as we've seen with, you know, the likes of, you know, Nico Hines is a perfect example who, you know, probably a couple of years back was sort of in and out, in and out, but he proved himself. And obviously every week is now that 14 on the bench if they're at full strength. Yeah, 100%. And again, talking about the importance of having a really solid halfback, Jarom Hughes has been outstanding this year. I think he's really gone under the radar on this Melbourne outfit. He's probably the forgotten man in that spine. There's so much talk always about Ryan Pappenhausen and um, how electric he is at the back, the importance of Cam Munster and now the addition of Harry Grant. But Jerome Hughes has been exceptional this year. Uh, he's averaging 73 in supercoach terms, but uh, he's got four tries, 10 try assists, uh, eight line breaks and seven line break assists there as well. So uh, he's doing a really great job with ball in hand to really steer this Melbourne side around. Obviously, there's, there were concerns a couple of years ago when uh, Cooper Conk was leaving about who would take the reins of this Melbourne side and uh, with a quite an easy draw coming up. I think that Jaron Hughes will be in for a big six weeks, especially for that origin period where he's going to really step up as the number one man in this Melbourne side. Yeah, and he's, oh, look, he certainly will. I mean, I think we've seen that Jerome Hughes is not not uh, not afraid to, you know, get amongst it, put the body on the line, plays natural game. And you just have to think that there's going to be way too much firepower there, even without those couple of stars for the Storm. And, I guess the game, Tom, the final game of the round, the Titans-Panthers, 6.25 on Sunday. The Panthers, you know, probably are expected to win this one. And I mean, I, I think if David Fafida was playing, obviously he uh, was unsuccessful to get his charge downgrade at the judiciary, which, I mean, I guess firstly, Tom, I got your thoughts on that. It was for that shot on Adam Dewey. Did you think that there was much in that as a Tigers fan? Oh, look, there wasn't much in it, but at the same time, it was definitely careless. I don't think it was reckless by any means, but I think it did fit the description of a careless high tackle. And unfortunately, for David Fafita and for Titans fans, the NRO are really cracking down on that, that's those sort of acts at the moment. And, you know, I think it really fits the agenda of, of what's happened uh, so far. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's certainly, I guess, a... Uh... You know, certainly many people have voiced their discontent at it, but yeah, look, it, it's end of the day. You make contact with the head. Unfortunately, it is what it is. Super coach players are suffering nationwide, you know, <laughs> globally with with the amount of players that are out this this week and potentially moving forward. But this will be an interesting game. Obviously, the Panthers should win, and the Titans' defense probably at times isn't great, Tom. But I think the Titans have shown that. They are a side that if they're if they're doing the fundamentals in attack, putting teams under pressure with their kicking game, that the defense that like I mean much like the Knights, they're a very that you know the Titans they build off momentum, they build off confidence. I think if they do the fundamentals right, then they in attack their defense looks a lot better. So although I don't think they will beat the Panthers because we know you know the the firepower that Penrith have across the park. I don't think it'll be a blowout. I think the Titans are certainly capable of holding their own to some extent. It's just a question of how long they can hold their own for. Yeah, certainly. I've just got concerns about the Titans' left-edge defence. We saw last week Adam Dewey and David Nofa-Wuma tear through them a couple of times, uh, especially towards the end of the game. And uh, Panther, uh, Penrith's right-side attack is just so strong. We always speak about their left-side attack with Luai and To'o. But last week against the Sharks, it was the, the right-hand side that really did the damage. Four tries there. Obviously, Nathan Cleary was exceptional with three. Oh, sorry, with two try assists. Stephen Crichton with two try assists and a try himself. And then finishing things off on the wing, Charlie Staines with a hat-trick. So the Gold Coast would definitely have to be uh, sharpened up there on that left-hand side in defence. And if not, we could see a very similar scoreline to what 
to what Penrith put on the uh, the Sharks on the weekend. They've got enough points to match Penrith, the Titans, but it's just that defence. Yeah, certainly will be. And look, it, it, it's not a bad clash to end things for Magic Round in, or for 2021. And I guess we have a very good entertaining round of fixtures to look forward to in the end. Yeah, 100%. I think it's been a great weekend for everyone who's going up there. Unfortunately, can't make it up this year, but I'd love to go in the future. I think it's a great event and something the NRL should definitely continue to pursue in years to come. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, it should definitely be on everyone's bucket list at some point, obviously. Can't happen every uh, every year for everyone, you know, everyone to go, but it's a good event. Obviously, you know, you pay a certain amount and you can watch eight games over three days. And I mean, what rugby league fan wouldn't want to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess, look, as always, there is news in the rugby league world, mostly good this week. So that's always a bonus. And I guess, we, you know, we kick things off with a, with a player that we've spoken about for your Tigers mob before, Tom, not only on the field, but off the field, you know, he's, he's come out and said that, you know, the likelihood of him staying at the Tigers is unlikely. The report now is that he's going to be, he's going potentially joining a Sydney club. I guess when you look at the sides that that need players based in Sydney, where's you know what's a team that you feel like Moses Mbai can potentially fit in best among the Sydney-based teams? Yeah, it's a difficult one to pick. I'd probably be looking perhaps to Manly. Obviously, they've got their issues at hooker with uh, still some doubt over the ongoing availability of Manasi Fainu and by his ability to sort him there. They've also got questions over the, the sixth role with Kieran Foran there. Does he play on next season? Uh, who knows? Obviously, he's got some injury issues as well. So Embike will sort in the six. We've seen Embike sort in at fullback in the centres, so he can really fit in anywhere. I think he could probably sort in somewhere to most of these Sydney sides, but Manly would probably be the one I'm, I'm looking at. What about you? Well, look, I think I think at the moment the Sharks are probably a side that could use, you know, I mean, Embi is never going to be a, you know, a game organizer, a guy that takes the bull by the horns, but when it, you know, particularly even going back to some of his earlier days at the Bulldogs, he's a very good runner of the football, you know, whether that was a fullback or five eighth, you know, he knows how to sniff out a gap and potentially create some opportunities on the back of his running game, and you know, in a Sharks side that Chad Townsend is gone for next year. Sean Johnson is no guarantee to be there. You know, the Sharks don't really have many players at, at their club that can just slot into the halves position that have first-grade experience. So, you know, a guy like Mbai could certainly help someone like, say, Connor Tracy ends up moving back into the halves or, you know, if they have another kid in the ranks that they think is a potential to play, certainly having a guy like Mbai who is you know, been there, done that in terms of first grade experience could be a, a valuable asset for the Sharks, even if he's not the key signing that they were after, after all of this ongoing off-field turmoil. Yeah, 100%. And as we're going to talk about later on, it doesn't look like they're going to end up with Adam Reynolds. There's not a lot of other halfbacks out there on the market now that it looks like they are going to lose Sean Johnson. So perhaps we see Braden Trindle, Connor Tracy could be in the halves next year and it might be a real benefit to the Sharks that they get someone like him by there. As you said, not not really dynamic, but just a guy that brings a lot of experience to the side and he can really mentor those halves through as they start their overall careers. Yeah, well, that's a certain look. You mentioned Adam Reynolds, obviously. The latest blockbuster report is that he's off to the Broncos for three years and, you know, that's it's certainly the start of a, a good, re, I guess, rebuild, if that's the right term to use for the Broncos, Tom. But I think as good as it is having Adam Reynolds there, potentially – from 2022, they're going to need to find more backline players, particularly now that they've lost Coates, to essentially be there to finish the tries off. You know, it's all it's all well and good to have the guy that can organise, that can manage, that can create. But if you don't have those players in the backline that can capitalise on those opportunities, it may well be a, you know, I guess a, a situation with the Broncos where, you know, you've got this guy, but you can't score the points. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, the loss of Coates is huge. Uh, I think the impact of, that he's had on this side has been measurable over the last year and a half. Obviously, they haven't got the results on the board, but a uh, number of times Xavier Coates has been the one who's been able to keep things close with some of those fantastic finishes he has in the corner. And uh, yet, yeah, it's, uh, it's unfortunate for Brisbane fans that he's not going to be there in 2022. I think they've got what it takes with Adam Reynolds to return to the finals. They've got a great forward pack, obviously, 
uh, Matt Lodge, Payne Haas, TPJ, uh, Tom Flegler there as well, Carrigan when he comes back from his ACL injury, Jordan Rickey. Uh, and then they've got the makings of a really good back line. They've got Jermaine Osako at fullback, who's been outstanding over the last couple of weeks. Herbie Farnworth is probably having a breakout year this year. Uh, Corey Oates is coming back into a little bit of form. And as well, you've got Katrini Stagg still recovering from his ACL injury. So, you know, you've got all the pieces there for Brisbane. It's just what happens now if a guy like Adam Reynolds uh, gets injured. Obviously, with a big money contract for Reynolds, do they have uh, what it takes to retain Katoni Staggs? You really don't want to fall into that trap of signing guys like um, Adam Reynolds who are coming to the twilight years of their career and then missing out on some guys like Katoni Staggs who are uh, definite future superstars of our game. Yeah, you've tread a very fine line. And look, I guess just quickly on Coates that you mentioned before, I mean, huge loss for the Broncos, obviously, knowing what he's been able to do. And I guess it's even more interesting at the fact, Tom, that Coates was certainly... Uh, very vocal or very, you know, very public and vocal in in what he was saying when you know his his idea of signing with the Storm would hinge a lot on whether Craig Bellamy was still going to be there and yet there's I mean obviously we expect him to stay at the Storm for at least another season at least or at least another season but Coates is very vocal in terms of I'm only going to go to the Storm if I know Craig Bellamy is there and yet ironically Craig Bellamy is yet to re-sign but You'd imagine that maybe Coates has been told something internally to suggest that Bellamy will stay on, hence his decision. But I guess it's interesting in the sense that nothing has been confirmed on that end yet and that the Broncos potentially offered more money to keep him. But the allure of Craig Bellamy is what has got him over the line in the end. Yeah, 100%. And uh, it's great to see Xavier Coates down there in Melbourne. We've seen guys like Remus Smith this year go down to Melbourne. And uh, obviously we all know that players that go to Melbourne tend to uh, experienced great career, greater career development, and I'm sure slotting in on that edge next to Justin Olam uh, and straight into the role of Josh Adokar. We saw Adokar on the weekend score six tries in the match, and you know I'm sure that's uh, enough for Xavier Coates to get excited about the prospects of going down there and being a, a real future superstar of the game. Uh, if he's been able to score in a real impotent Brisbane lineup, just imagine what he could do uh, with guys like Cam Munster and Harry Grant on his inside. Yeah, well, I mean, he'll slot straight onto that left edge where Josh Adokar plays at the moment. And when you, if you have Cam Munster running at the line, you know, with a cutout pass, he's not going to be, certainly not going to be afraid to score tries or unwilling, that's for sure. And I guess a, a move that's been confirmed, Tom, there was a lot of conjecture. I think, you know, the Dragons were reportedly keen at one point, then Manly pulled out an offer. Then, you know, it just sort of went back and forth. Nathan Brown is going to be at the Eels for at least another two seasons. And I mean, I guess I think in many ways, Brown is the sort of player as an Eels fan that he can, he can excite you, but he can also frustrate you in terms of, I guess, his overall involvement. I mean, he's, he's certainly a very underrated piece in the Eels setup, And, you know, we see that in the way that he's able to, you know, take the ball to the line, whether he hits it up or whether he passes late or, you know, pretty much at the line itself to get it to the likes of Dylan Brown or Mitch Moses. But, but I think all in all, it's it's certainly, it ties in with the Eels culture and, and Brad Arthur's philosophy of, look, we need to keep these core players around. And, you know, it certainly looks like they're on their way to doing that with the re-signing of, of Nathan Brown. Yeah, 100% great signing for the Eels. Obviously, a number of Cubs are probably looking at Brown. I know uh, Fox Sports identified him as one of the players the Tigers should be looking at for next season. So uh, good that the Eels are able to take him off the table and secure his future. Obviously, really fits that enforcer archetype that we've seen in the league uh, for a number of years now. Every successful club has one. Just provides so much energy, both with the ball and in defence. And uh, obviously, those things are also those uh, attributes can go awry at times. And uh, we see Brown and guys like Jared Maria Hargraves at the Roosters get suspended and uh, you know have some poorer games with plenty of errors. But it's, it's the games when they're on that they really provide the, that value to the side. Yeah, he certainly does, and. I guess a, a player that adds value to their current side, Tom, but there's a lot of conjecture about his future, is the Raiders' George Williams. I mean, you know, I think Raiders fans and the club themselves will tell you that Whiten and Williams probably haven't had the best start to the They haven't been poor, but they haven't been, you know, 2019 or 2020-like when Canberra was firing on all cylinders. But I guess the big one here is there's reports that he's homesick, you know, we know that the Raiders aren't going to let him go. They're going to do what they can to help him out. What that is, we don't know. But there was an interesting point mentioned by James Hooper on NRL 360 last night that 
it's it's kind of like it's a a little circle. So the um, Jackson Hastings joins the Tigers, obviously for next year, as we've discussed previously on other podcasts. And Wigan know that they need a they need a guy. You know, rumors kickstart that George Williams is homesick, and we're gonna Wigan say to their recruitment guys, get George Williams back. So <laughs> it's sort of a little. I guess a little circle thing, given he did play for Wigan previously, Tom, and Canberra would be a much lesser side if they do lose him at the end of the year. Yeah, 100%. He probably hasn't been in the best form this year. George Williams, only the five try assists across the nine games so far this season. So uh, he hasn't quite uh, reached the heights that he got to last year, but I think that uh, we'll see him really get back to his best towards the end of the season as Canberra really pick up some form and start to make a little bit of a charge themselves towards the finals. And his combination with Jack White has been so important over the last couple of years for the Raiders, and uh, obviously they're going to have to try and replicate it with uh, someone else, as we just mentioned with Cronulla. There aren't a lot of halfbacks out there on the market at the moment, so replacing George Williams is going to be a big ask for the Raiders' recruitment side. They may even have to look internally. Yeah, it's a big ask there, that's for sure. And I guess the biggest news of the week, Tom, has been the what's happened with the Jack DeBellin case, and obviously under the NRL's no-fault stand-down policy. He hasn't played rugby league for... Or this will be the third year that he's not playing rugby league, and that's a long time to be out of the game. The Dragons are still paying him. He's still got a contract there. And I guess after the news, Tom, that five of the six charges he's up against, the the jury were not able to reach a unanimous decision. The sixth charge he's up against, he was found not guilty of by the jury. I guess with DeBellin, for the Dragons, for the NRL... A lot's going to hinge on that May 28 date that the Director of Public Prosecutions has to decide if they want to go to a retrial. If if they don't go to go to a retrial, Tom, I mean, this is going to... I mean, obviously, DeBellin is free to play, but probably the bigger picture is this is going to have a lot of implications on the NRL and the way that they've, I guess, handled this in preventing DeBellin from playing when in the past other players have been allowed to play during ongoing court sagas. Yeah, I know today Andrew Webster, the Sydney Warrior Herald, has come out and supported the stand-down uh, stand policy, but it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out moving forward, as you mentioned. Obviously, for Dragons fans, the big question is, if Jack DeBellin is cleared, what sort of condition is he going to return to the game in? Hasn't played rugby league in three years now, and, and we spoke at the start of this year about how quick the game is now, uh, how much it's changed from last season. We had that same conversation last year. So the, when you compound those two years of such great change in our league, it's nearly unrecognisable, uh, the game, the, the speed of the game now compared to what it was back when DeBellin last played. And uh, it's going to be really intriguing to see whether he can keep up with the game. Obviously, still a little bit more to go in terms of the legal proceedings, as you mentioned there, that May 28 date. But if he returns, it'll be uh, fascinating to see whether he, he can come back in and still have the same impact or whether we perhaps see DeBellin return through reserve grade for the rest of this year because... I think they're going to, the Dragons are really going to need him for that extra start he brings to that forward pack if they want to make a finals push this year. Yeah, they certainly do. And I guess quickly, Tom, you know, we mentioned before that Sean Johnson could be on the outer at the Sharks. I mean, if that's the case, you know, I guess where where do you see him possibly fitting in out of the sides that need a halfback? Obviously, looks like the Broncos have uh, Adam Reynolds, obviously not confirmed, but looks likely. The Sharks still need a halfback, so it's, I guess it's a bit confusing that they're not going to try and, or they're not going to try harder to retain him. Obviously, if George Williams makes them move back to England, then you'll have, you know, they become a chance as well. But is there any team that sort of, I guess, needs a guy like Sean Johnson at the moment? I think plenty of teams could do with him. Obviously, the Tigers uh, would love to have him there with so much conjecture over Luke Brooks's role moving forward in this squad. Manly could use him in that 5 8 role, as we mentioned with Kieran Foran leaving. South Sydney, and we'll have to find a replacement for Adam Reynolds. Could do a lot worse than uh, Sean Johnson, a, a former Golden Boot winner there. I think that you could virtually put Sean Johnson into any squad, and if you asked uh, most of the general managers running around whether they'd like Sean Johnson uh, in their side in the halves, I think you, you definitely have to say yes. I think he's probably one of the top two or three halfbacks in the league at his best, and well, he probably hasn't reached those lofty heights that he once uh, got to at the Warriors. Even last year, as I mentioned, at the Sharks, he was still leading the way in try assist and that combination that he has with his right side second rower. Last year it was Britton Nakora, CSF Talakai as well. Uh, it's really great to watch and it's one of the more dynamic combinations in the league. Yeah, he's certainly still got plenty to offer, that's for sure. And I guess it's a question as to 
whether the Sharks want to keep him where he goes and a long way to go there. And, you know, obviously, much like there's a long way to go for some NRL teams, certainly there's plenty of development over in the States, Tom, with the North American Rugby League. And I guess the two notable bits of news there this week was former player Peter Godinay has signed with the Atlanta Rhinos and former NRL player and coach of the Dewsbury Rams and the Jamaican national side in Glenn Morrison, certainly a player that's played for both of our sides, so we'd know plenty about him, but he's joined on as the director of rugby league at Cleveland. And obviously, you know, for this budding league, the more former players, former, I guess, NRL people that they can get in, it's only going to make their league stronger and stronger moving forward. Yeah, 100%. Great to see both Morrison and Godinay go over there. The experience that they've had in the NRL will definitely strengthen uh, their respective sides over in the US. And as well, we've had the news that Tony Williams won't be playing now for the New York Freedom after the comments he made in relation to the Jared Hayne case uh, here in Australia. So uh, that's a big loss for them over there. But uh, I'm sure uh, there'll be plenty of people that have said that New York Freedom have made the right move in, in getting rid of Tony Williams after the comments that he made. But uh, it's definitely a loss in terms of the experience that he could have provided for that side. I think that moving forward, getting more of those sort of fringe NRL guys who are perhaps moving towards the latter stage of their career and now are perhaps playing in the Super League or are still sort of hanging around in uh, reserve grades here in Australia, getting those guys involved over there is definitely going to do uh, wonders for both the American competition and also the growth of the, oh, sorry, for both the, the American competition, but also just the general growth of the rugby league over there in the States. Obviously, we mentioned last week, they moved towards the World Cup at the end of this year. So it's really great to see them to put together a competitive side that's able to take down perhaps some of the Pacific nations or maybe even put up a challenge to one of the heavyweights. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, it's only going to do wonders for them moving forward. And certainly, I'm just having a look. I think there's a rumour going around that uh, Daniel Vito, obviously, played for a few clubs in in the NRL, tall, muscly, lanky sort of player, knows how to find the try line that he could be the next player to join, obviously, he's at the, over at the, the World Wrestling Entertainment at the moment. So that was a, certainly a career change for him compared to rugby league. But it'd just be another another good player to get on board and boost that profile. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it's just going to be about getting as much interest over there as possible and really creating a high-quality product. We know that Americans have such a great interest in the game. We saw that during COVID period last year when things like the NFL and the NBA were shut down. We did have uh, rugby league on the screens over there when... Uh, the NRL was one of the only sports being played around the world. So uh, great to see that they're, they're really piggybacking on the back of that interest. And, um, yeah, fingers crossed they can get it up and running and uh, create a profitable competition over there. Absolutely. A good competition over there is certainly what the, well, what the American game has been craving for quite some time. And I guess on that note, Tom, that brings to an end another episode of Take the Two. Certainly plenty of exciting games to look forward to in Magic Round this week. And, We'll be back here next week to dissect all the action as always.